This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 668. I feel like educating people on what exactly it is we do as real estate investors is very important. We're not out there buying deals for really low price points and then reselling it for really high without doing any work in between. A lot of times people don't know we buy homes that are in complete distress. They might have abandoned cars in the front. People might be in some sort of financial situation that they can't get out of. And we're providing different solutions. What is going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with my co-host Rob Abasolo. If I sound a little different, you're not crazy. Today I'm recording from Scottsdale, so I don't have my normal audio and video equipment. I'm here in the casita of the house that Rob and I built because I freaking love this place and love being in the area. So we're recording the podcast. I'm in Scottsdale. Rob's at his normal place, but we're going to have to keep this intro short because somebody has to go to Austin, Texas with his wife because (laughs) they are lazy and don't want to work. That's true. Listen, listen, we have two children. They're one and two and a half, and we have never vacated. I think that's how you can... We've never vacationed away from them ever. This is going to be our first. We're going to leave tonight, leave Thursday. We're going to be back on Friday. We're scared. We're, we have faith in my parents to pull this off, but to be honest, I've been sweating bullets thinking about it, but it's going to be okay because I'm going to try to relax, which is something I never do. Today, we have an awesome episode for you. We bring in Zasha Smith, who is Invest with Sasha on Instagram. Sort of has a little connection to Brandon Turner out there in Maui. She's a Maui investor, and uh, you want to make sure you listen all the way to the end because we tell a very funny story of how Zasha took a deal right out of Brandon's grasp. Recently, I've become addicted to these like horrible short videos on Instagram, which might also be on TikTok, of like crazy animals in Africa doing insane things. So you'll see like, a lion come steal food away from a hyena or a crocodile take food out of another crocodile's mouth. And that was what reminded me of with this deal that Zasha talks about is that Brandon thought that he had it and then boom, at the last minute, she got it. And she tells us exactly how, so you can do it too. Zasha is passionate about giving back while building wealth. And I love it because she doesn't have it's me or you. I have to get ahead or I can help you get ahead. She's getting ahead while helping others. And she does it in several ways. She does it by providing affordable housing to her local community. She does it by providing mentorship and knowledge through the partnerships she's in and the masterminds that she attends. And she often approaches how to put a deal together in a way that works for everybody with a lot of integrity. So if you're somebody with a strong conscience that wants to find financial freedom, but you worry that doing that is going to make you a bad person today is a fantastic show for how you can put that to ease and see a path that you can take that helps other people while helping yourself. Rob, what were your favorite parts of today's show? Well, you know, typically I would add in like, you know, how the the community aspect was great and how she's questioning it on the content. But my wife did just text me and she said, don't dilly dally, you have to pack. So I'm just going to say everything that you said was actually my, my favorite part. It was really nice to honestly, legitimately hear the human side of real estate. I think that's something that that is very important for people to learn. Don't, you know, uh, again, we're all chasing cash flow. We all want that. But she really tells a story about how it's like human first, right? Be personal with people and, and treat them like people. And if you do that, you can have really great success in this field. I want to get a t-shirt made that says, chase excellence, not cash flow. Uh, how about- The cash flow will fall. Don't dilly-dally, chase excellence. We'll workshop it. I was actually going to make a reference to your use of dilly-dally because it's equally parts impressive and embarrassing <laughs> that you were able to work that into right. a show. Rob, the 28-year-old guy going on 77 every time we record. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. Prop stream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120-plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. Before we bring in Zasha, today's quick tip is... Consider making real estate your job. There's so many ways that you can make money in real estate other than just owning it and getting cash flow. You can flip houses. You can work for somebody else. Zasha has an acquisition manager that works for her who was the hero in the deal that she took from Brandon. You could be a real estate agent, a loan officer, a title officer, a construction person, a bookkeeper. There are so many ways that you can make a living through real estate. And the reason that I'm advising you to do it is you want the life that Rob lives. You want to be able to get in a car with your wife and take off to Austin and go to other places and not be thinking the whole time, oh my gosh, I'm using all my PTO. This trip is costing so much money. We can't stop and get corn nuts on the way because we're spending all of our money in gas. What you want to be thinking is I'm going to take a trip and on this trip, I'm going to make more money in real estate than I spent to go on it so I get paid to take a trip. Real estate offers that flexibility. You know, I, I don't want to brag, okay? I try to be as humble as I can here, but we are actually taking a bus to Austin, Texas. 
It's Vaughn Lane. Apparently, it's nice. I don't know. So I gave you too much credit by saying. <laughs> well, you said oh, we're getting in the car and going. We're actually taking a, a a bus that apparently serves food and drink. I don't know. I've never heard of it before, but should be fun. Just want to remind you: ask yourself the question: How can you make an impact as you build your wealth? It makes the journey a lot more fun as well as satisfying in the end. All right, enough of listening to me yak. Let's bring in Zasha and. Zasha Smith, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. This has been a long time coming. So glad to have you today. Aloha, everybody. Aloha. So, for those of you who don't know, you can follow Zasha on Instagram at is it Invest with Zasha? Is that the handle? Yeah. Zasha and I have been uh, sort of like aware of each other through online things. I think we met briefly in Maui one time, and now we get to have her on the show. Zasha, can you tell us how you got started in real estate? Well, I feel like I'm just the average person who was working there W-2. I had been working as a civil engineer for 10 years, and I was working 60 to 70-hour weeks going in on Saturdays. I seen my boss going in on Sundays and thought to myself, this is going to be my life. I'm now going to be working seven days a week on a a 40-hour-a-week salary, and I wanted a change. And so... I basically, you know, started Googling something silly like how to get rich and quit your job or what is the top way to build wealth. And I found out that majority of the people that had been coming up had some sort of stake in real estate. And so from there, I stumbled upon Bigger Pockets, started listening to the podcast, going on the website, connecting with other investors, started attending meetups and really gained that confidence to know that I could buy a rental property because I live in Maui, Hawaii, where the medium home price is over a million dollars. So I never thought of owning anything else but my own home. And so that kind of opened up my mind to see that there were other ways to buy these properties. I didn't just have to qualify using my job or using my income. There are other ways to leverage debt. And so from there, I kind of just started buying properties. Okay, that's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about what your portfolio looks like today? And then just a little bit of that trajectory uh, over time as well. So right now I have 10 rentals. I have nine long-term and one short-term all here on Maui. And uh, it averages about $10,000 a month. So it's not $1,000 each property. My short-term rental brings in about $3,500 to $4,000 a month which basically makes up my nine other long-term rentals net cash flow, which that ranges between 500 to 1,000, depending on the type of loan that I have on those rentals. Um, And then I also do a lot of fix and flip. So right now I have six projects going on. One is here on Maui, there's one on another island, and then the rest are between Arizona, Georgia, um, Florida. There's, I've been partnering as a way to scale the flipping business and have that active income versus trying to do everything myself. So in the beginning, I think I was a typical investor who was very hands-on. I was working my W-2. I bought uh, my first flip, which is a condo here in Maui. And I was just using logic at that point, right? So I found it on the MLS. It was listed at 300. I think I was using Zillow at that point. Contacted a realtor who is also an investor and said, hey, what are things selling for in this area? And he said, well, there's a comp at, you know, that just sold for 450. So I thought to myself, well, it can't be that much of a difference between what it takes to fix it up and actually make money. And so that's kind of (laughs) my uh, 
you know, indirect way of getting into real estate without overthinking it. Because I think a lot of first time investors get into that analysis paralysis. But for me, it was just thinking logically and then taking action and using the resources that I already had in my circle and basically using the MLS, which is available to everyone if you have access to the internet as far as like Zillow, Redfin, and those other public sites. And then um, from there, I bought my first rental. I inherited a tenant, uh, but initially, I think it was cash flowing net 300. I bought that also off the MLS, used a conventional loan and went through the process of trying to find them another place, trying to raise the rent, kind of didn't did it on my own self-managed. And I found it to be very rewarding in the end because I was willing to work with them until they were able to qualify for affordable housing and buy a house of their own versus just kicking them out from the start, giving them the 45 day notice, even though I now cash flow, you know, between eight to nine hundred dollars a month. It was more so helping these people get to the next step as well. That's amazing. So can you remind us just for reference, when was that very first deal? Like how long ago was that? It was in 2019. Oh, wow. So really, mm-hmm. you've, you've built a, a great portfolio in a few years here. And that very first deal that you were talking about, that was a flip. Is that one that you sold and then you went into a long-term rental? Yes. Awesome. So I think this is the question, right? Everyone always says like, how do, how do I get started? When you're getting into your flip... How, you know, obviously as someone that, that um, you were saying, you're going based on the logic and you're like, all right, uh, it shouldn't cost that much more to fix it and then make a, a profit here. Was this all self-funded getting started? Like, how did you actually get into that very first deal? So that was also used, and this is not advice for anybody getting started using a conventional loan. I had no idea that you couldn't use it to flip properties. So I qualified using a conventional loan and then uh, used my own funds for the rehab. It was about 30 grand. So that was manageable for us. And I was the typical person going to Lowe's on my lunch break, meeting contractors after work, paying them cash, just, you know, doing all the things they tell you not to do. So if you're getting started, definitely uh, look into hard money or private money or something else because after that point moving forward, when we sold the condo, my lender was like, hey, you're, you said this is going to be a rental. And I was like, yeah, that was the initial plan. However, we pivoted into selling it short term. And after that, he didn't give me any more loans. So, Well, that's okay. We're here for you if <laughs> that's what you need. That's, right. I mean, I guess because people don't realize this, but if, uh, if you buy a house with a loan or you refinance a house, sorry, if you sell a house that was bought within six months of getting the loan, the lender has to pay back all of the money that they made, but they don't get compensated for all the time that they put into it. So that's why people can get a little salty if you end up selling a house or refinancing within the six month time frame. Little quick tip for everybody out there who may wonder, why did my lender ghost me and get so mad? I don't understand. I made the right move. Like They don't ever want to tell you that, but that's usually what it is. I am fascinated by an element of your story, Zasha, where you you hear everyone talk about wanting to do what you're doing. There's people that listen to podcasts. There's people that see this online. They follow the people taking the action, but they don't actually get out there and do it. What was it about your personal story that gave you the drive to take action where other people sort of think about it and talk about it, but they don't be about it? Definitely, I think growing up in low-income housing and just having that perseverance throughout my life to look for something better, look for a way to give back or help people that were in my position helps to drive me to get to that next level. And so even while I was working my W-2, I always thought about 
what it would be like to have more. I'm getting into this engineering job to be able to live in an expensive market, but is that the only reason why I'm working? Is it to build wealth for my family, but have no time with them? I was trying to find that balance or that median in order to be able to, you know, basically live a life of perseverance and and make an impact at the end of the day. And whether that be to my family or my community, I was trying to find that way to pivot into that from the engineering job. And um, how, how do you feel like, are you, well, first of all, I guess I want a, some clarity here. Are you still working your, your W-2 job? Are you still in, in the field of engineering? So after I bought my first flip and my first rental in 2019, at the end, I ended up joining a mentorship and then quit right away in January of 2020, right before the pandemic. So I don't know if it was a universal timing that said, hey, I'm going to give you the hardest year to try to get into investing and you're going to run with it or you're going to fail. So it was definitely a challenge getting started. Um, in 2020, I had bought a my first multifamily and my whole goal was to wholetail it. I ended up, you know, having to pivot because the person who was going to buy it, he shut down his office. Uh, he was going to buy it. He was a doctor and going to use it for his nursing staff. And so during the pandemic shut down and I was kind of forced to keep it. However, that's one of my best deals yet. I'm cash flowing probably about almost $4,000 and it's a fourplex. So, and it's mo majority of the people who live there have section eight HUD or some sort of rental assistance. So it's a very fulfilling property to have as well. And every time I go past it, I just... I'm happy that I learned to have different exit strategies. So quick tip for everyone, if you're getting started or if you're looking at a deal, always look for multiple exit strategies that you could use just in case one doesn't work out. So you, you mentioned it, it's, a, it's a fulfilling property. Why is that? I feel like it's come full circle. So because I came from low income housing, I'm now able to help these people who have low income or maybe fell on hard times and are accepting assistance because it does take a little extra paperwork working with government offices. And, you know, on my part, I, sometimes I have to wait till the fifth or the 10th of the month to get paid. So you have to be willing to wait a little bit longer and put in a little bit extra work to work with these affordable rental assistance programs. Is this something that you, I mean, because obviously you're, 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 uh, it, it kind of relates back to, to your upbringing and everything on that kind of stuff. Is the Section 8 component of real estate, is this your way of sort of giving, giving back? Is that like a big driver for you? Is it um, something that's kind of very familiar to you and you want to, to kind of help others in, in the way that you, you were helped when you were growing up? Like, tell us a little bit about that because I think it's really important. I think it sounds like, you, there is purpose behind your story. And I, I love to hear that because I think a lot of us will lose sight of why we're even doing this in the first place. Yes. So when I was growing up in the low income housing, it just taught me very much to be humble, but also to strive for a better life. And I know things happen to people in their lives, whether it be 
death, whether it be, you know, some sort of health condition that falls upon them or they get fired from their job and now they don't have any income. So I understand how it can happen to people. And people always are asking me, you know, what do you do to prevent yourself from, I've heard all this bad things about Section 8 that they'll trash your house. I said, they're like any other renter, right? You have to vet them. So run your background checks with them, check their credit score, talk to their current employers and previous employers, and same for their landlords. So if you vet your tenants correctly, then everything should fall in place. Of course, it's not 100 proof, but at the same time, give them a chance like everyone else and vet them, but also you know stick to your standards. And one thing that I do differently with my tenants on Section 8 is I let them know, hey, I understand where you're coming from. This is my property. If anything happens to it or, you know, it directly affects my family. And I am hoping that, you know, we have, we built enough rapport with each other that you understand where I'm coming from. I'm going to be a great landlord to you. If you be a great tenant to me, we're working together on this. So it's more so of us working together that will help them sustain, you know, a place to live because a lot of people here don't accept Section 8 and it's for that exact reason. Is they're worried about drugs, they're worried about non-payment, they're worried about, you know, them trashing the home and everything like that. But I don't look at that first. I look at that after I vet a few of them. A lot of us came from backgrounds where we didn't have everything we wanted. And the drive to get ahead often comes from pain in our past. And everyone has some form of pain they can tap into. It's not like it's unique just to you. But then I've noticed that while your past can be the fuel that can help you overcome the obstacles to get the future you want, like what you're describing, there's also traits that sometimes we develop in our past that do not help us when we're getting to the next level. So I feel like a lot of successful people have to navigate the waters of what do I hang on to from my past? What do I have to let go of to think differently? Can you explain a little bit about what your specific journey was like with how you reconciled those two things? I definitely... I'm still working through a lot of things I think I went through during my childhood and then also during my um, young adult years. But I think I still struggle with that as far as using that as my drive. But now where do I go now that I've kind of made it to a level where I don't have to worry? I've reached my financial independence number. I don't really have to build a bigger portfolio How do I keep myself driven to wake up every morning and definitely move forward with my journey? It's it's definitely something that I've always struggled with. However, I feel like I just think about the amount of people that I can help and that has helped push me forward as far as being the driver for me now. So every person that I get to help on their journey, help them even start to think differently because a lot of this I've found is your mindset. I never really thought about it until last year. I went through um, Steve Rosenberg's mastermind and he was really heavy on mindset. I didn't know how much that affected me. I thought, you know, I could just do one deal at a time, but he taught me to open up my mind and be like, hey, why don't you shoot for these bigger goals? I'm like, oh, well, I want to know that I can achieve things. And so he's he really got me to think bigger. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that. They're just try, they're just looking right directly in front of them instead of ahead. And so I think that helps drive me is helping other people to see the bigger picture. Yeah, I love that. That's it's a really honest answer. And I'm I'm honestly really glad that you said you're still working through it because 
I'm I'm honestly in a in a similar place. Like uh, my parents are immigrants from Mexico, and uh, they are a lot of what drives me, and that is a big part of my story. And people are like, well. Why do you still keep working? You don't need to work. Like, don't haven't you figured it out? Like, you know, you you seem like you haven't figured it out. But you know, I'm like, I don't know. I'm still working through all this. Like, I just want like everybody to be taken care of. But then I have this like complex, you know, where I'm like, well, I want to keep helping people. Like, that's a big part of my platform as well. Um, and so, mindset is definitely something that is constantly evolving for me. I know that you're really big in, into this, like you just talked about, but you're also you know, really big into, you know, masterminds and getting help that way and evolving your mindset. What are your thoughts on investing in that type of thing and getting help that way versus learning the hard way? I feel like if you have a lot of time, definitely go through all these things. You can go through all these things on your own. However, if you're looking to scale and really cut your learning curve, going to masterminds, being a part of mentorships, going to events will help give you the network and connections that you need in order to get to your goals quicker. So for me, I always try to, the biggest tips I can give people is to make connections, whether that be going to virtual or online meetups, whether that be going to paying you know money and investing in yourself for these programs, it definitely comes back tenfold. Even for me, I just went to the Maori Mastermind this last week, met, you know, millionaires and billionaires and people making a lot of money, but was also able to connect with them on a, you know, personal human level and be like, look, these are things we're all struggling with and we need to be able to help each other. I was definitely the smallest fish in the room, but I also had the largest social media following. So you'd be surprised on how many people came up to me asking me about that component. So really think about too, how you can add value to other people when you're going to these meetups or when you're making connections. Think of something you're good at and how you can use that as a platform for you to help them. And in turn, they'll remember you. Yeah, you know what? I... I I'm so the 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 smallest fish in the pond, you know, and I love that. There's so much to gain from being the smallest fish in the pond because once you are the biggest fish in the pond, you it's very hard to find anyone that can help you and teach you. And so for me, I like surrounding myself by people that are much smarter and and I, you know, th- there is always the 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 stigma of education and mentorship and masterminds, but I'm just like, no, not really. Like you want to surround yourself with people that have similar goals because I think personally there is just nothing more inspiring than being in a room full of people that are as on fire as you are or even more on fire. Um, I just actually was talking about a similar thing, Zasha, where I was in a room at a conference one time in the green room in a room full of millionaires and billionaires. And it was so crazy because they were just regular people. And I think that's like the crazy thing because you elevate these people to be like super brilliant uh, computers basically. And then you talk to them and you're like, man, you're just a regular person and you figured it out and you're smart. And you're like, I'm smart too. I think I can figure this out. And I think it's like unlocking that, right? So um, are you still a part of masterminds and and mentorships or is that something that you continually uh, invest in? Yes. Every year I try to at least go to four different events. I I am a part of a few mentorships and uh, Ryan Pineda's Future Flipper program is how I started my journey. They're the first mentorship I ever joined. And I was very hesitant at the time. It was, you know, $10,000 to join. I was like, oh, but I could learn all this stuff on YouTube or I could do this on myself using (laughs) bigger pockets. And 
it was hard for me to dish it over, but it also gave me more motivation to make sure I made the most out of this program. I was going to come out of it, you know, with achieving my goals and just connecting with as many people and making those personal connections as I could because I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money for me going from doing it all myself to now dishing out all this money. It it makes you motivated to make the most use of whatever program you're in, especially if it's a lot of money to you, then why would you waste it? Big time. I mean, that's honestly what it all boils down to. And I mean, there is so much free content out there, right? There's like the podcast, there's the YouTube side of it. I think what really the core nugget of it is always, can you take action? And is there something that you can do to take action that will really fuel you and really, you know, set you on fire to, to kind of pursue these goals? So I know you started scaling up, um, you know, from, from where you started to, to now, can we, can we start talking about like, you, you said that you, um, started partnering up with people you're, you're, you live in Hawaii and then you said you had a place in Arizona that you're flipping and then another place somewhere else. What, how does that all work? Like, wh- why are you partnering up with people to scale? Like, what is that strategy? So basically my goal is not to build a big wholesaling or flipping team. I want to essentially split roles by partnering, right? So we do, majority of the time I do equity splits. So whether it's 50-50, 70-30, depending on if I'm the capital partner, capital raiser, or they need me to uh, qualify for the loan because they've never done a rehab loan, say they own a few rentals, or they need me to manage the contractors or walk them through escrow process, or they are experienced investors and they say, Zasha, it's Wednesday and I need... $300,000. $300,000. If you can raise this or bring this by Friday, you know, I'll give you some equity in this deal. So I think there's a lot of value in being in being that person that they can come to. And also, you know, I never wanted flipping was never my goal. My goal is the passive income. But along the way, if there's opportunities to make some active income along the way, then I'm more than willing to do that. And also helping other people get started. Of course, these are people that I've connected with, known for a while, met through mentorships, or we have a connection with each other to hold each other accountable. It's just not, I'm not partnering with random people, just to be clear, but they're bringing some sort of value or deal. I'm checking with my network, maybe in that area or in that state, in that market, and being like, hey, this person brought this deal. Is it good or not? They have the uh, CMA from the realtor. They have the contractor bids. So they have all the details of the deal in place in order for me to make an easy decision. I was just about to ask you, how do you choose the partner you're going to get with? Cause the concept of partnering is very different than the practice of partnering. It sounds like you're meeting them through these same groups that we're talking about. So majority of, of them I've either met through mentorships or my community. And of course, Each partnership is different. You could have all these numbers align. However, once you start working with them, you'll see their personality or more the morals, integrity, where their decisions lie. And then you can decide if you want to continue working with them or not. So I think it's very important, one, whenever you're thinking about a partnership, to talk about communication, to see where they're at as far as what decisions they're going to make or how they would think about a certain situation. And then Two, definitely getting something written down on black and white, 
what your role is and what their role is and what the expectations are. Because I think that's something that's overlooked and you're like, yeah, this would be a good idea for us to partner. However, once you get in it, you thought that person was supposed to do something and they didn't. However, nothing's written down, then it's harder to keep each other accountable. You know, I've noticed one of the big hesitations and to be frank, I was the same way. Like I didn't want to join GoBundance because at the time it was like $6,000 a year and I was just, I don't want to spend the money I don't have to do that. I can read a book to learn it. And I had that mindset for a very long time. But then when I joined GoBundance, I got put in touch with a person who got me a line of credit at a bank in North Florida that ended up leading to 35 properties that I bought that they financed that I wouldn't have been able to normally do. And through that process, I learned a whole bunch. I wrote the Burr book. I taught people about Burr. Now every partner that works with me in a deal gets all of the knowledge that I gained from everything I did brought into what they're doing. Like Rob was just talking about a deal we bought and he got to watch me kind of teach our realtor how to negotiate negotiate it and now everything that I know goes into Rob's head. Rob now applies that to all the deals he does. It builds this exponential momentum when you get around the right people because everything that they've learned and spent money to invest in, you get. So I didn't just pay $6,000 to join GoBundance. I paid $6,000 to get access to the hundreds of thousands of dollars of money the other members had spent developing their mindset, learning things. And partnerships sort of function that way, in that same way too. Do you mind sharing with us some of the things that you've learned from partners that you've brought in so you didn't just give up 50% of the equity, but what you gained from the other person and how that helped your business? So majority of the time, I'm the one teaching someone else or helping to bring these newbies up to their first deal. Like in 2020, I had partnered with someone or became an accountability partner with someone and help walk them through their first wholesale deal, help walk them through a first flip partnership together. And then now they're off and doing it on their own. So that experience in itself helped this person take off on their own. So if you think about it, it's getting to do deals together, but also having someone to walk you through getting their connections. If it's their contractors, their escrow company, seeing who they use for their lenders, getting access to them. And then also having that safety net. If anything were to go sideways, you know how to get through and problem solve and find a solution. So I think that's the biggest key takeaway when you're partnering is that you get to leverage each other as far as finding a solution for that deal and making it happen. Yeah. So I've, I've done a few partnerships. Um, can you, I want to, I want to ask you first on that. Maybe I'll give an example here, but are there any, any things that you've learned the hard way through a partnership? Was there ever a moment where you're like, Ooh, probably won't do that again. And it doesn't necessarily reflect badly on the partnership you have now, but just a learning that you can apply for a future partnership. When partnering, it's very, very important for you to define your roles. And for me, I always thought partnering with contractors would be the greatest idea because that's most of the time the biggest headache as far as dealing with projects is the renovation. So I've partnered with a few contractors that didn't really work out because they don't understand the investing aspect. They see us purchasing a house at 600,000, we're selling at a million, but we're also putting 200,000 into the renovation. We're also paying money costs. There's a lot of costs that go into these projects that people don't really understand that we don't just want, it's not the sell price minus the purchase price and the renovation. There's a lot of costs in between. And so even when you're partnering with people that are 
let's say, contractors in the deal. They're putting their sweat equity in. That's how they're contributing to the partnership. But there's so many other moving parts that they may not understand. And no matter how much you try to explain to some people, they just, you know, it doesn't register. And so at the end of the day, they might feel like they're getting the short end of the stick and vice versa. So that's what I talked about in the beginning is being very clear on the roles and who's doing what. So everybody's on the same page. But at the same time, you know, some people think that what they're bringing to the deal might be worth more than what you're bringing to the deal. And so that's what I've learned from partnering with other contractors is that it doesn't always pan out the way that they really think it is. And once they realize, oh my gosh, you're not making that much money, then, you know, they decide not to do any further deals with you and then vice versa. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, I've I've been in the situation where we did very clearly lay out roles and expectations. And so that partnership has always worked out super, super well. But the one thing that I've realized with a lot of the partnerships that I started in is I just didn't future proof myself. Like I didn't, I didn't really plan for the future because it was a really good deal at the time. And I was like, great, I'm going to do all the sweat equity. I'm going to do all the work. And at that time it was great. Like it was gravy. But now with the way that my portfolio has grown and the way uh, that where I'm moving to in real estate, some of those roles and responsibilities really just don't make as much sense for me. And I just didn't have the foresight to really know like, hey, in two years from now, if I'm successful at this, I'm going to be super busy. So, uh, you know, I should probably think about that. And so that's one thing I always try to tell people is that exact thing, because really, if any tension ever starts to build up, if you're not super clear about those roles, if one set of uh, partners believe that they're doing more work than the other, it can be a little bit tougher to maneuver, you know, all the way through. So I know that you've, you've been doing this a, a bit. And I also wanted to a- ask a little bit about the mentorship versus partnership component of it. Are you ever going into a partnership specifically um, with the intention of mentoring? Is that just part of the job? Is that something that you're doing less now that you're a more seasoned and experienced investor? Yeah. So in the beginning, when I first started partnering, because I never partnered before, I had done maybe about seven or eight deals before I ever started partnering. So for me too, the first partnerships that I had, I didn't really know what I was doing or how was it was supposed to be. And so I took the spot of more so mentoring people into being um, comfortable investing. So now it's very clear roles. Okay, this I bring the capital or I qualify for the capital. I'm the one making the monthly payments, whether it be holding costs, utilities, that sort of stuff turning on the utilities, coordinating with escrow, and then you are the one who's the boots on the ground, coordinating with the contractor, making sure the timeline and the schedule is on par with where we're supposed to be. So it's very clearly defined roles. And if they ever want to know anything about what I'm doing, I definitely share that with them, but not necessarily take them through every single step, just because I have way too many deals going on to be doing that with every single person. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that makes a lot more sense getting started and you're kind of working. And just for the record, I don't think that there is any bad partnership when you're starting to when you're getting started specifically because you will learn so much i think the the cost of education there or the the benefit is education like a lot of people are, they'll see deals that i've done and they'll say well hey i know that you partnered up with somebody and you gave a 50% equity and they got 50 and they put up all the money i want that too and i'm like well hold on hold on hold on little one you can't always demand 50% when you're getting started especially if you don't have a track record if an investor comes to you and says hey I'll front the money, I'll do the financing, but you're only going to get 25% or 15%. I'm totally fine 
for a new investor to take something like that because it's the experience of working with an investor and with a partner that's valuable in your first deal more than the cash flow that you'll ever make. I totally agree. And especially when you come at it from a humbling experience. Hey, I've have a lot of people who intern want to intern with me. Hey, I'll do this for free. But essentially, too, you have to think about what are what are you good at and what value can you bring to this experienced person? Because they could hide. They probably have VAs already to do things. They already have systems and processes in place. How can you add value instead of making them work harder to figure out, okay, what are you good at? Where can I fit you into my business? You got to make it easier for that person, but also think about the amount of experience you're going to get or comfortability and confidence in yourself if you see somebody else doing it know exactly their process and how they're making it through this business you can be like a fly on the wall or help them do paperwork or something like that and just be around that's extremely valuable i wish i had somebody when i first started getting into this business like that but i didn't know what i didn't know and i went to these meetups and i thought everybody you know was doing their own deals and Especially when you go to competitive lead generation, like going to the courthouse steps, going to auctions, everybody has the mindset of it's me against you, right? So that's the mindset that I had coming in was everybody was to each their own. And recently, after joining mentorships, it really opened my eyes to the power of collaboration and having an abundance mindset. If you can win and I can win, why don't we work together? If you have a strength and I can help you with something that the deal needs, such as capital, why don't we work together, do our individual roles, and then we can both make money, right? So if you're trying to do this whole entire business on your own, you will quickly get burnt out or you will quickly, you know, find out that in order to scale, you need other people. Yeah. I mean, the the abundance mindset, I think you, someone once told me like, you get nothing out of being competitive with a friend or a partner. There's enough out there for everybody. And I think as soon as I heard that, it just sort of unlocked this like, when I was like, oh man, it's so true. And so, because a lot of people, you know, like on YouTube, I talk about all the stuff that I do. I talk about how much money that those investments make. I talk about markets. And I've had so many people that are like, are you crazy? Why would you give away all your secrets? Like now you're just creating your own competition. And I'm like, eh. I mean, there's like millions of homes in the United States. I I think I'll be okay. I think it, it benefits people to learn and do it the right way because, you know, there's a little bit of integrity that we have to like teach people on how to do this, how to do this the right way, how to real estate correctly, if you will. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Zasha, I think that you, the mindset work you've done has clearly had a very significant impact on how successful you are. It looks like every time I follow you, you're exponentially increasing how successful things are starting to fall into place. So I can see that that investment is is starting to pay off. Talk to our community. Tell us what exactly are you doing? What does your day look like as far as how things are structured? And what type of stuff catches your attention? You go, ooh, I like that person or I like that situation. I like that setup. I'm going to put more attention into this versus the, the just amount of stuff that hits you in a day that you realize that isn't worth my time and attention. What has completely changed my life, I feel, is a morning routine. Because I have a family, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, and I'm also an investor. 
it is very easy to get run down by the day. So waking up early, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Then I quickly, I just jump out of bed and start working out, get that done, write my affirmations. That gives me confidence going into the day. And then I write down the top three things that I got to get done to help me stay focused. Now, this doesn't always happen. There are days where I take breaks. However, for majority of the time, I try to stay consistent with that. And then from there, I go into Asana. I use that for my team as far as my social marketing team, my um, investment team, my VAs. We all coordinate in that platform and figure out, okay, what do I, what are these tasks that I need to do for that day? Get that done. And then from there, if there's any new deals or new leads that come in, then I evaluate that, see if that's a market that I want to get into, a strategy I want to use, or maybe it's potential for long-term cash flow. And so recently I've been really getting into uh, RV parks. And so I'm entering into a partnership that they live in that area. They know they already have properties in that area and they want to partner with somebody to bring capital. And so that is where I'm seeing my role as far as an investor go is to not necessarily focus on a specific strategy, but focus on a specific role in a deal. And so that's what my role is going to be moving forward. I'm trying to see if I can start a fund because it is hard once you sell a property, give the funds back to your private investors, and then all of a sudden you contact them for another deal and then the money's gone or they've used it for something else or they decided to renovate their bathroom in their house. So I've been finding that getting into other bigger, higher level um, strategies has been the way that I have to go now. That's really cool. So is that your your kind of uh, method for scaling? Because obviously you were doing a lot of the flips, you're partnering in that capacity, but now you're looking at RV parks. I'm doing something very similar here. Are you doing that, A, because it's a really cool, I mean, I, I think RV parks are, are fascinating, but B, is this just your your path towards scaling? Yes, so it's, it's one of the paths. So last year I bought my first short-term rental and it has made, you know, almost just as much as nine of my long terms combined. So it just opened my eyes to the possibilities of doing these more uh, hospitality sort of investments versus the long term. I'm still going to do the long term investments, but it's been harder. I feel like everyone now, it's a bit more of a struggle to find deals. So if I can get into these hospitality sort of RV parks or, you know, Airbnbs that can essentially make the deal still work without it having to be a long-term investment, then I'm going to jump into those. So I don't know if that was a good explanation for that, but that's definitely what I'm thinking about. The path to me is being that person, figuring out what role, but not really concentrating on the strategy. So I'm still open to bigger, you know, multi-unit apartment buildings and other strategies. It's just focusing on what is my role? What value can I bring to that deal that will um, benefit everyone? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like you're out there. I mean, you're you're teaching people in the community. Obviously, you're very active on social media. Um, you're getting information out there and you're, you're effectively mentoring the masses, right? So they, they often say that you are as good as your reputation. It looks like you, um, you you're, you're killing it basically. And uh, I wanted to ask from your perspective, like what are you doing in, in your life, in your role, in your real estate career to impact the local community? 
I feel like educating people on what exactly it is we do as real estate investors is very important. We're not out there buying deals for really low price points and then reselling it for really high without doing any work in between. A lot of times people don't know we buy homes that are in complete distress. They might have abandoned cars in the front. People might be in some sort of financial situation that they can't get out of. And we're providing different solutions. And a lot of times we put, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into renovating these homes and then of course selling them for a profit. However, when you own a home, you get to choose who you sell it to. So you could potentially sell it to a first time home buyer. You don't always have to go for the highest price or the person that has the most money or is coming in for cash. You can choose to work with someone who you feel will bring value to that community. And that's how I found a lot of people, when I do buy these homes, ask me or while we're in renovation phase, come up and say, hey, you know, we would love for you to put a local family in there because this is the vibe of the community and we want them to contribute and not just move here and then, you know, find another place, move out. So there's different ways where you can have an impact without, you know, compromising your morals or integrity and also adding value to the community. And then as well for the rental side, right, for long term, you can choose a Section 8 tenant versus someone willing to pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars more if you're at the regular rental rate. It all depends on your financial goals and your financial situation. However, I'm at a place where that's important to me. So it may take a little bit more footwork working with the HUD offices. It may take a little bit more time to get their rents in on time, but I'm willing to work through that in order to keep with my goal and making an impact on the community and adding value. And do you find yourself, um, do you think you'll, you'll continue investing in affordable housing as you continue to develop your, your real estate portfolio and your career and everything? That's definitely my goal, especially being uh, from Hawaii and it being so expensive. I knew that when I was going through high school that I had to go to college and in order to move home, I had to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer to be able to afford to live here. And so with that in mind, I definitely want to build an affordable housing project or have an affordable housing subdivision here in some sort of capacity. But I know along the way, I still have to build wealth and make connections and have that in my, uh, I guess, tool chest in order to do these bigger line items, big, do these bigger I guess, envisions of projects. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's impact. Again, that comes down to purpose. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I think if you just always focus on the financials and the money, like, that's fine. Obviously, you can have a successful career doing that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be fulfilling, right? So it's really encouraging to hear that that you're out there doing this. Um, I'm curious, I know you probably work with a lot of potential sellers, like, what's your process for working with different potential sellers out, out there? So anything found off market when I'm working direct uh, with the homeowners, I ask them, you know, hey, a lot of times it's referrals. So people refer me to other people. And that is I'm huge on reputation, especially being from a small community on a small island. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And so when I approach them, I ask them, hey, have you talked to a realtor yet? Have you thought about getting a personal loan if they're in some sort of financial situation? Have you talked to your family members? Can they help you? Do you need me to mediate that conversation? I have a network of lenders 
and of realtors and other people in this business that might be able to help you. And then if you know you want to work with me, I'm always the last option. I want to know that you've explored everything and I am the reason why you need to sell to me, not just because, you know, you wanting the cash offer or I want to know that not necessarily I'm the last resort, but you've checked all the boxes before you came to me. Well, that's cool. That's something you don't hear every day. Genuinely, <laughs> you want to, hey, I want to be the last resort, right? Uh, that That's really cool that you're actually helping people through that process. Again, it's a human element. I mean, that, real estate, you're, you're dealing with humans every day. You got to treat people like people. Um, it's the only way that you're going to have a fulfilling, successful career. I mean, again, I guess you could do it without doing all that and be successful. But it's like, do you want to make money or do you want to make money and be fulfilled? Why not do that? You can have both. You can have both in this industry. And I think that's something that people always um, lose sight of. When I feel like this is a lot of relationship based, whether it be working with other investors, whether it be working with sellers or other people, you know, the escrow company, the title company, it's all about relationship and trust. And so my biggest deal, for example, came from me partnering with a seller. I had no idea that that was even a thing that you could do as far as being creative with it until I found out later on through mentorships. But the seller actually wanted to partner with me and say, hey, will we get a little bit more money if we, you know, hold the loan and then you do the renovations and then we sell it. And so that was an instance that was my biggest deal, honestly, was they had brought this partnership aspect to me. And now it's called, a lot of people refer to it as a novation where the sellers still own the property, they hold it, and then you bring renovation funds. So we had agreed on a price of about 450. I brought 200,000 in private lending funds. We fixed it up and it sold for about 975. And so I had let them know, hey, Initially, the ARV was 850, and now the market has just gone way high, and now we're able to sell it for, you know, 975. Are you okay with the initial amount that we agreed on? Because if it went the other way and it went down, you know, you would still get that money, and they were fine with it. They are definitely a different type of people. It all depends on the relationship you have with the owner, especially when you're getting creative like that and you don't. You're not, you don't own the home, so you don't have that much control. However, if your relationship is good with the owner, then that's a different way to kind of make it work in an expensive market and also partner with sellers. So it, in, in your uh, method of making sure that you are giving back more than you ever take, you have three things you're focusing on, and that would be partnering, which is giving mentorship to people through deals. So you're sort of pouring into the individuals that are learning the game that we're playing here. Investing with integrity, which is giving without expectations, and then providing affordable housing for people that are not aware of how the game works, but still need somewhere to live that's affordable, right? Definitely. I think that's wonderful. I want to build wealth and then make make an impact too. So I think that's the underlying... At the same time. Yes. And you don't have to be perfect. And that's what I'm saying is that you can use your resources to go through things. I think there's been people throughout my life who have given me, you know, the insight or courage or confidence to be able. I had no idea about finances or loans or debt other than buying my own home. But as far as investing and doing all these things, it was just people along the way, maybe lenders, the title company. I had no idea how to partner with sellers until I went through the escrow company. I said, is this a real thing? And so they helped get the legal paperwork together. They said, as long as you and the seller are on the same page, then we can draft up whatever legal documentation you need. And I never 
really thought of that before. I always thought the traditional like investors buy things with cash. They use hard or private money and you know, that's the only way. So again, it's just asking people along the way being curious, right? And so I think that's helped add a lot to my journey as well and help me scale because I'm not afraid to ask questions. Well, this has been very good, Zasha. A ton of actual, easily repeatable content that people could follow. I'm gonna move us on to the next segment of our show. It is the world famous Deal Deep Dive. In this segment of the show, Rob and I are going to fire questions directly at you one by one and learn about a particular deal that you've done. So question number one, what type of property is it? It's a single family. Awesome. Question number two, how did you find it? Driving for dollars with another accountability partner. Oh, this is starting to sound familiar. <laughs> question number three, how much was it? 375000 Question number four, how did you negotiate it? I had an acquisitions person negotiate the deal and um, they were actually had the house, owned it free and clear, had a few liens on it, but were able to walk them down because they had previously talked to a realtor who said they had to clean up a bunch of the um, items that were on the property. They didn't want to do that. So they were open to working with an investor, taking it as is. Awesome. And how did you fund this deal? All private money. What'd you end up doing with it? I ended up keeping it using the Burr strategy, getting all my money back out, paying back the private lender, and essentially just wanting to add another uh, building to the property. It's called in Ohana. So that is our goal right now. We ended up splitting the single family into a duplex. It was a two-story. So we split that, and then now we're going to build another duplex on the same property. I know an Ohana unit, if you haven't heard of it, is what they call an ADU in Hawaii. It means family. So it would be like if you wanted your mom and your dad or your mother-in-law to live in your property, you'd build them an Ohana unit. Uh, my last question, what was the outcome on this deal? Um, we have multiple exit strategies for the deal. And so right now we have two renters living in it. One renter actually um, is a church member of Brandon Turner, which his wife's best friend lives right next door. And then also on the bottom unit is a lady who is waiting for her Hawaiian homelands uh, home to be built up country. Awesome. And what were what, what lessons did you learn from this deal? Be quick to act. So this deal was actually um, when we were driving for dollars, we seen it, we got the deal and decided that we're going to mail them, we're going to leave our cards there, and then eventually coordinated the buying the property. After that, whenever I buy a property, this is a good tip for those who are just starting out or maybe seasoned investors, something you never heard about. But I give my card to each and every neighbor that is around that area to let them know, hey, if you see something suspicious, um, please let me know. Or if my contractors are par have parked in your area or are making too much noise, you know, you can always call me. I'm the new owner of the home and I definitely am trying to add value to um, your area and also to your home. And so it was funny because the lady next door, I guess was Brandon Turner's wife's best friend. And she ended up calling Brandon and say, hey, 
do you know this girl, Zasha Smith? She just bought this house. And so he messaged me and he said that he was actually looking at that house for a while. They drive past it almost every week. He had been meaning to knock on the door, been meaning to contact the owner, but just didn't get around to it. So I ended up getting the house and now have, you know, it's renting right now for around $6,000 a month. The mortgage on it is about uh, $500,000 a month, $500,000, and we pay about $2,300 a month for the mortgage. And so it ended up being a really good deal and recently just appraised for a little over a million dollars. And so he was a little sour about that. (laughs) Yeah, so everybody listening, go at message Brandon on Instagram and tell him to listen to this episode's deal deep dive and let him see to the victor from the spoils. All right, I actually have one last question. I was wrong. Last question from me. In this deal, who was the hero on your team? Definitely my acquisitions person. So it it happened to be the... She had been wanting to invest and start her investing career, had been in a mentorship, but never took action. And so we became accountability partners because even as a seasoned investor, it's nice to get out there and be reminded of, you know, the different ways you can find deals, not only through cold calling or texting, especially if you haven't door knocked in a while or you haven't driven around, you know, the neighborhood to go look for deals. And so she had coordinated, you know, contact with him, coordinated closing the deal. And I walked her through the steps of the title company escrow and all of that. So Tereva Jacobson is definitely the hero of this deal. Thank you for that. And be sure to check out the Bigger Pockets Marketplace where you can find your next hero to help you on your next deal. All right, we're going to move on to the next segment of the show. Famous for. Question number one What is your favorite real estate book? Of course, I'm going to say Burr Strategy by David Green. If I I feel like don't reinvent the wheel, right? Like if it's working for other people, then just do the same thing. There you go. That's a way to bring a little bit of cold. Gotta say, I agree. I agree. Yeah, Rob agrees because that's the only real estate book he ever read, which I actually am not mad about because if he's only going to have read one, I'm happy that it's fine. That's right. It's the, it's also the best real estate book I've ever read. So very important. Um, <laughs> number two, what's your favorite business book? The Also Common Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Awesome. Uh, question number three, what are some of your hobbies when you're not building your, your real estate empire? Hanging out with my kids, definitely number one. But number two, I just started spearfishing. And so I oftentimes, like everybody else, get caught up in working, you know, building wealth, looking for the next best thing, investing in you know, other deals, and you can't take me away from my laptop or my computer. So reminding myself to go to the beach, me and my husband started a new hobby of spearfishing together. And that has not only got me out of my own way as far as taking a break mentally from work, but then also built our relationship closer. I've always thought that looked like a blast. It's really fun. Not not for the fish. (laughs) I I guess the, the spear comes out as a blast. So there's probably a pun in there somewhere. All right, right. question number four. It is a blast for them technically, yeah. Right. What sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Surrounding themselves by like-minded people or people ahead of them and also helping other people. And so this is what I try to put forth, especially through social media, educating other people and letting them know that 
Just because people are ahead of you or doing all these great things doesn't mean that you can't. And so putting out little tips like that, connecting with people. And also, you know, I had mentioned to you guys before this episode that you can instantly connect with people on social media. There is a power of providing value through there that people don't even realize. So I connected with David Green, with Brandon Turner. I messaged Robill a few times. I don't know if he's seen it. Might be in his hidden messages. <laughs> it might be. That's right. Hey, that's a callback. But um, it's definitely a way to connect with people that I never even realized had, you know, initial power to it. So I think if you're just starting out, of course, don't blast people, but find a way to add value. You can instantly connect on social media. And I know that we all post and add value. So really take in what people are giving out for free and what's working for them. Awesome. Well, first of all, let me just say that <laughs> I followed you and I sent you a message and I haven't heard back from you. I did send that message like 30 minutes ago while we were on the podcast, but it is there. Um, can you tell us more where people can find you on the internet if they want to learn more about you, connect with you and all that kind of good stuff? On Bigger Pockets, definitely that's where I keep a profile of all my deals that I have going on now. Um, at Zasha Smith is my handle name on there. And then also on Instagram at Invest with Sasha, where I have a big platform, always down to help. I have people helping me um, with my messages to get started and guide you on the biggest path and I always speak about bigger pockets, so it is an honor to be here and be on this podcast and add value, be uncomfortable, be, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and just know that you guys are not alone in this journey. It is very hard for me being a civil engineer for 10 years behind the desk to put myself out there and often connect, but I found it to be the most valuable and most rewarding part of this journey and making an impact. That's so cool. Well, David, what about you, man? Where, where, where can people find out more with you, connect with you, all that kind of good stuff? Go follow me at davidgreen24. Very easy screen name to remember. Also, very boring. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. And then on YouTube, I'm at David Green Real Estate. Also, very boring and very easy. But got a social media company that's been putting out posts. And uh, I try to put new stuff. So like when I'm out here in Scottsdale, I'll try to post things showing what's going on behind the scenes and I'm doing more of what's happening in the personal world. So Zasha, I think you do a really good job of that. Actually, I want to mention it. You don't just post, look at this house, look at this deal, look what I did. There's like a kind of a mix of this is who I am as a person and this is who I am as an investor, which probably isn't a coincidence because as you said, you want to give back and you want to build wealth. And that kind of comes across with the way that you're posting. So make sure you go follow Invest with Zasha as well as me and then Rob. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on the YouTubes um, at Rob Built and then uh, Instagram, Rob Built as well. And uh, TikTok. You want me to do funny dances? You want to see me do funny dances? I'll do it. All right. On the TikTok at Rob Bilto. I also do them on, uh, on Instagram every so often. You know, you catch me dancing. They're not good, but I will dance. I'm not ashamed. Do you do the robot? Is that where Rob Bilt comes from? I don't do the robot. <laughs> no, I don't. But I just had a video pop off of me conducting a, a choir. And that one was my best performing video ever. No, fake choir. It's not a real choir. But go watch it. It's funny. I saw it. It was very intense. I've never seen that intense side of you <laughs> until I saw that. Well, hey, the beast exists within. You just got to let it go. <laughs> don't let that flower shirt fool you. <laughs> There's a beast behind that cloth. <laughs> Zasha, any last words before we let you get out of here? Definitely. I think the overarching theme is giving back, building wealth, but also making an impact. And if there's any way that you can make an impact on your community, 
definitely try to do that, whether it's your time or money, just remembering where you came from or that other people don't have it as good as you and trying to help them elevate. Thank you for that very much. This has been a great podcast and I hope everybody listening takes that to heart. You can actually win bigger and do better when you help other people along the way. It is not us versus everybody else. It can be us with everybody else working together. So thank you for spreading that message, Josh. I completely second it. This is David Green for Rob, the beast behind the flower shirt Abasolo. Signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.